G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. A special presentation today, pre-Easter, focusing on what is a very significant highlight on the Easter calendar for every Australian. We've got a Vision broadcast team with special guests today in Alice Springs. Vision CEO Phil Edwards is in the Alice today, passing through on his way to Memory Mountain at Hast's Bluff for the official launch of the Forgiveness Cross on top of Memory Mountain. That will be happening on Sunday morning. Phil Edwards is in the Alice. Phil, before we go to our next guest, you're on your way. No doubt you'll be hitting the trail uh, probably sometime, I guess, on Saturday. Are you in the Alice for Good Friday? Uh, and then you're heading out to Hast's Bluff? No, we're actually heading west this afternoon, uh, Neil, and there's a lot of things that are happening there tomorrow. So tomorrow night uh, there'll be a sing-along and uh, a ceremony and lots of things going on. So we want to make sure that we're there for that and to be part of it. And to be honest, I'm really looking forward to it uh, because, you know, I, I grew up in, a, uh, in western New South Wales, so I've had you know, some exposure to Indigenous people and Indigenous culture. But if I'm really honest, I actually haven't had a lot. And that's one of the things that I'm looking forward to most is actually being able to be there, see and be immersed in in uh, how Aboriginal people are, are living their lives, how they worship, uh, and getting to actually you know walk a little bit, and and to for me to take a few extra steps forward in my my understanding and appreciation of Indigenous people, alongside the significance of this cross. I think just it its location, the story behind it. Uh, is is one that needs to be told, and that's one of the one of the key drivers for being there too. So our broadcast will be on Sunday, but a lot of the activity is is happening on Friday tomorrow. Lots of listeners will be looking forward to Sunday morning together for that live broadcast, and it's going to have uh, the church service. There's going to be all sorts of uh, VIPs who are arriving that you'll have as guests on the program too. Uh, for listeners across the weekend, though, if they're wanting to follow some of the exploits of Phil Edwards in the out. Back, uh, can they follow you on social media? What's the best way to catch up with some of the things you're doing? Yes, we'll be uh, capturing some conversations and different things, and lots of wonderful pictures of the scenery. It's just such spectacular country, uh, so you'll be able to see some of that uh, with videos that we're, we're capturing and putting those up on social media. So we're, uh, just go to uh, Vision Radio at either Facebook or. Um, uh, the other socials. You've caught me off guard here, Neil, but uh, you, <laughs> however, you'll find it however <laughs> listeners connect on social media with That's Vision, right. because there's lots of platforms, uh, keep your eyes on those because we'll hope to keep you up to date uh, with them. Hey, uh, you've got another special guest there with us, uh, Phil. Uh, would you like to introduce him for us? It's my pleasure, actually. And, and just what I was saying there about my own story of what I'm looking forward to and just having a quick chat with Ken, who we're about to talk to. It's evident to me that that's been his story, but uh, Ken Fiddler is here. He's a, he's an Alice Springs born and bred local uh, who's been on his own journey. I'd love to unpack that just a little bit. Ken, thanks for coming and being part of this today. No problem. Now, just uh, mic up a little closer so yep, we can hear. We That'd be wonderful. So, 
Um, now, you were born here in, in Alice Springs. I won't ask, won't ask you how many years ago that Over was. Over 50. <laughs> Quite a few. So I guess you're a local. Uh, here amongst, you know, a, a very, uh, I guess, strongly influenced Indigenous culture in, in this town. There's a, there's a big mix, much more than, than other places in Australia. How would you describe your own journey as somebody growing up here as a white man in your of Indigenous uh, people? Truthfully, um, so I grew up here, did school here, uh, did, I've got my job here, career here, all the other pieces. You can live in Alice Springs and grow up here, think you actually understand or know Aboriginal people and what have you because just the fact that we live in the same place and mm. the same thing. But the truth is, is that you don't. Mm. Um, so probably it wasn't until... I really started getting involved with doing this stuff with church and with the church buses and Aboriginal people itself and actually started getting involved with Aboriginal people that I realised that all the things that I thought I knew because I grew up here and were surrounded by Aboriginal people were actually, a lot of it's actually not true mm. in the way that you look at things. is oftentimes how you perceive them from your own ways that you grew up or things that you learnt. Mm. And I guess for most people in Australia who aren't here and in that context, it's even, they're more removed. It's more difficult to, to get that uh, appreciation, whereas you're here in the thick of it, uh, you know, you're interacting with Indigenous people in town and, and throughout the course of your life, but not until you actually are involved hands-on, you know, really face-to-face spending time. Yep. So as a, I grew up here and um, became a Christian really when I was 20, mm-hmm. uh, had a journey through it and ended up but at 20 years old person challenged me about what I was really doing and where I needed to be and it was like well you know God's real I need to do something about this and so then stepped on that path and went no that's it Christianity's what I'm going to live and not live in a couple of different lives yeah and um so been involved with church and since I was 20 years old you know did things we go out do um, you know sausage sizzles and go out and down to the town camps and do stuff and just talk to people or talk to people down on the roads and what have you. Um, and but and you build a picture of the way that you think people act with the community, way behaviour is and all that sort of other stuff. And you make all these assumptions based upon what I know, the values that I have, the things that I've been taught, the things that come in from there. And it wasn't until probably I was about mid-40s, um, I was sitting in church one day and they're saying, look, Aboriginal people need to come to church and we need bus drivers, we need them to drive somebody to church. Mm. Um, look, if anybody's got an LR licence, can you drive can you a help? bus? Yeah. And I was like, well, I have an LR licence, um, not doing anything in particular, not using my LR licence, so, okay, I'll, I'll drive a bus. So just started driving the bus to pick people up and, and just, you know, just take people to church because they have no transport, can't get there. Yeah. It's hot in summer, it's cold in winter, and, and when it's raining, it's a, it's a, it's a long walk. So, and, you know, and especially because it used to be at time, it was night time, so it's dark. So I started doing that, and then um, through that process, you know, started meeting people and what have you. And, um, but even then, you know, there's an element of you know, just language barrier. Yeah. You know, Aboriginal people speak like four or five languages, and English is like five. And, um, you know, some of them might, people I know, seven or so, and, you know, English is not up the top there. Yeah. And, you know, we take for granted what we say and how we speak. And sometimes the the meanings of the words that we say and the way we say it's not... Completely different. Yeah. Yeah. And I was even looking at, even, you know, looking at things like 
the way Aboriginal people use English. Their variation of English is a different English to our English. So it's, it's interesting that. You know, just driving the bus and stuff. And then I ended up, um, an old Aboriginal man, W.R.E. Spencer, he um, couldn't get on the bus because of he uh, had a significant injuries. And so trying to step up and get into the bus was a problem. And he never couldn't really. And yep. then... Um, so I'm driving the bus, and then as I'm driving along the bus one day, I think, oh, maybe I should just read to him. And as a Christian, you know, you have these thoughts and do nothing about it. And then about a week later, I go there, pull up at the house to he's, just to check on him and see if he wants to come on the bus. And he says to me, he goes, oh, you, can you ask if somebody would come and read to me? Hmm. And I said, oh, well, okay, I'll be back Wednesday. <laughs> so, and then I'm thinking about, oh, look, I'll, I'll just... I'll read to him, and I think I just read the Bible. And then I realise, you know, Aboriginal people have the Bible. They've got um, yes, he's he has literature. He learnt literature from reading the Bible, and so taught himself literature. He can read literature. And there's the Walpuri Bible, and uh, W.R. is a Walpuri man. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll read him something else. So I looked at my bookshelf, and I saw this book, Intercessory Prayer, Dutch Sheets. So I thought, oh, I'll go and read that. Mm. And so out of just sitting down there with him, and then reading that, and we read Spurgeon, we read Tozer and wow. books like that. And he couldn't read the English. And he can read English, but he can't read that English. Yes. But when, we, when I read it to him and when we talked about it, he could understand it. And then he was up in hospital often, so he couldn't come to church. So I'd pick people up, drop them at church, then I'd drive down the hospital and then we'd read books like that and have these conversations. And in that thing, he explained to me lots of things about Aboriginal people, the way that they see the world, the way they see relationships, the way they see all these things, and things that I have no idea about, completely foreign to me, mm. um, completely different ways of thought, different ways of viewing things, different ways of seeing things, and, and through that relationship and that sharing, there's uh, learnt lots of things and learnt lots of things that what I think I know I don't. Yeah, well, I guess that's prepared you for something you're doing now and working in the town camps, working with the the people that are there and, and helping, not running necessarily, but but helping. What do you observe is going on? Uh, over the years, so my wife and I, um, we go to a, one of the camps on a Monday night. And Monday night every week we do, go and take some food. We'll go and have a meal together and then... Do a little home group kind yep. of... And so, yeah. and what we do is, is that, uh, so one of the ladies reads the Bible in Walpuri. And then, um, so obviously I don't know Walpree, so then I read in English and then we have a conversation about what we've read. Yeah. Over the years, I suppose I've seen lots more people being um, open and, and wanting to hear and wanting to be involved and wanting to know more. And it's, I think it's a matter of, and uh, WR and I talked about this a bit, and it's like, it's about bringing the gospel to people in a way that they can understand it, not as a children's gospel, but yep. as, a, a, as an understandable gospel. Yes. W.R.E., um, we did a Bible study I did for young men, and he really he really had a heart for young people, especially young men. And uh, it was for the guys in senior high school, grade 10 and between grade 10 and year 12 in high school. And he used to come along to those things, and um, I sh- uh, showed them something in uh, young boys. We did something about Daniel. And he was very silent. And normally, normally he would say something to the boys after the meeting and said nothing. And then as I was taking him home, he said, he goes, I, I didn't even know that was in the Bible. Mm. <laughs> he goes, can you give me your Bible? So I gave him uh, my Bible and he sat there reading Daniel in 
the Wal- what he had in literature in Walbury, yep. and then reading the English and trying to work out what it was saying. And then the next week he came along, and um, we did Isaiah. And um, it was we were actually Chuck Missler, which is pretty full on anyway. But yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so, and uh, and then at the end of it, he said to the young men, he said, "Boys," he goes, "I'm 60." He goes, "I never knew any of this was in the Bible. Nobody's ever talked to me about this." He said, "I, I can't even understand the words that that man's saying." And he goes, "You guys, you need to be grateful for what you have. The fact that you have this, you can read this and you can understand this." Mm. And I think from that point, it really made me go, you know what, this is about explaining the Bible, explaining what's in the gospel. And so in the things that in the, in the camps, just doing these studies and just reading the Bible is, is how much they, uh, like April who reads for us, you know, so she just loves reading the, reading the Bible. And so it's great, let's, let's sit down, she'll read in Walpuri. And I read in English, and then we talk about it, and it's that that connection and that sharing as we're doing that, which is, uh, and you know, family comes and sits around and listens, and then we get often get to talk about various different stuff, and so people move in and out, so it's not like a structured thing, but mm. yeah, that's wonderful, Ken. I, I just I love hearing what you're doing. I've got a, a bit of a do- desire to come along one one night. Uh, if, if that's allowable, absolutely. Um, if we maybe try and squeeze that into a schedule somewhere along the line, but. I just, as you're telling this story, it just makes me think that so often we uh, try and understand somebody else, but without spending time with them to really understand them. And that's kind of what we see also in the machinations of government. And it's, we've got this year where, of course, we're having a referendum about a proposed, quote, solution uh, to a problem, but it seems to be quite far removed. And there is a place for you know, the change in law and, and all of that sort of thing. What do you think we need to be doing as a as a society to better engage with you know indigenous people and, and the issues that they face i think engaging with the people it's like i said i 44 years of living here thinking i understood aboriginal people and the truth is i don't i didn't actually understand the way that they see things and mm. you know and i and i won't because you know i grew up i grew up i had possessions i grew up you know these are my toys. My brother touches my toys. My brother gets a smack on the head for touching my toys. You know, yeah, stuff. And you have these things about stuff in the stuff that I've seen within uh, the Aboriginal society is, is that these values of possessions is not the same as our values of possessions. Yeah. So, you know, it's okay for us to lie. We don't have a problem with that. Uh, we'll cheat on our tax returns. Hey, that's okay. But so if somebody takes your stuff, it's just stuff. You can replace your stuff. Do I actually own it? Or do I have understanding of real concept of ownership? Do you really, really understand how much that actually hurts the person when you take something when you've never had possession? Mm. Now, stealing is wrong. It's one of the Ten Commandments. And there's a whole thing about possessions and stuff. So doing it's wrong, but your perception of how wrong it is and this sort of stuff. Is, how do you explain those things? How do you, how do you explain stuff? How do you explain snow to a person who's never seen snow? How yeah. do you explain... <laughs> These sort of things. So it's a matter of learning, okay, what I think and what I say uh, not necessarily means what I, what I think it means. And even uh, W.R.E., when we were sitting there reading now, he can read English and, um, and said, I left him my book once of uh, a Spurgeon and he was trying to read it and I came the next week and he said, look, I just can't read it. He goes, I can't understand what's being said. But when I read it, 
And when we changed it and changed some of the English and discussed some of those words, then, you know, we had a... It made more sense. Made more sense. Yeah. And even just, even English words, like I'll say a word, and see, Christians, we have a tendency to have our own language. And reality, you know, if you're talking to people who, let's say English is their fifth or so, um, those words don't mean what we think... That they mean. They mean. Yeah. We, I understand it, and yeah. I understand English as well because I can pick words because I've got the root structures of the language and what have you. But when I, if you didn't have that, then there's lots of words that just mean, what do they mean? And so that's one of the things that we've been discussing in, the, in our studies is going, okay, let's talk about this. And, you know, I remember at one time, you know, I'd been reading the Bible to uh, family for about, we'd been doing it for about six months uh, at that stage, I was just reading it in English, and we hadn't, didn't have someone reading the Walpri and then do the stuff. And I'm reading something, and it's just uh, I can't remember the word it was, but it was like a just common Christian word that we use all the time. Uh, and one of the things is finally one of the ladies said, oh, "What's that word mean?" And I'm sitting there thinking, "I've been using that word for like mm. ages," and you know, finally asked me, "I." Oh, What's that word actually mean? And you just take for granted that stuff. Yes. Uh, we're here in Alice Springs, and uh, uh, Ken is my guest here, and he's uh, working with the Indigenous people in the town camps. Uh, there's uh, little groups that are going on there. There are churches we heard earlier on. So there's lots of good things happening here, Neil. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020. On Vision. On a day we have a special presentation as our Vision team is transiting through Alice Springs. They're on their way to Memory Mountain for the launch of the Forgiveness Cross on Easter Sunday. Ken Fiddler, and I've got the right pronunciation here, is with us. Hey Ken, I'm fascinated by the conversation that you've been having with Phil Edwards. And for listeners who might not all be so familiar with Aboriginal Bibles. There is a Creole Aboriginal Bible, and that's like a trade language uh, that a lot of Aboriginal clans and tribes around the country do have some access to. Some of us will be very surprised, though, because not everybody in Aboriginal communities is very literate, and uh, you're talking about the Walpiri language. Uh, how much do you know uh, of the Bible is translated into the Walpiri language? Have you got that sort of detail? Do you understand all of that? Uh, to, a, to an extent. Um, the uh, Walpiri, so actually uh, version is what we use. Uh, there is actually also an Australian Bible app, which has... Uh, there are lots of the different uh, languages in it, and you can download it. And I'd also believe that some of it, there's audio as well that goes with that. So some of the verses have audio. Uh, in uh, version, if you go to the other languages, you can find things like, for example, Walpuri and various different stuff. A lot of the Old Testament isn't there. Um, there's, uh, so there's sometimes that we've done a couple of things in, in the Old Testament, so we've had to drop to English. Uh, and so just discuss some of those things, like you know, some of the things that we just take for granted um, that we know is just not there. Um, the Walpri itself, uh, to the speakers who are reading it, that I'm reading it with, um, that Walpri is not actually their Walpri. So they, they say this, they call it what they call it, light Walpri, and they speak strong Walpri. And so even in that aspect that the, 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 the it inside there in the way that it is, it's not actually that version of Walpri that they have. So... 
Um, and in hearing you say those things, uh, I think we can all ascertain a little more deeply that it's not just easy. It's complicated when you talk about language. It's complicated then when you talk about sharing the gospel, about making disciples. I mean, here we are as Christian believers we recognize that a great commission says to us, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. Uh, there's complexities in all of that. And while technology might be even helping the Bible translation process today, it really means there still needs to be people on the ground ready to sit in the dust with Aboriginal people and to read the scriptures and to be with them on their own journey. How do you see it? Like that. I mean, uh, you know, you've seen missionaries, you've been in the Alice for 50 years, you've seen missionaries come, you've seen missionaries go. Uh, What works best? Uh, Good question. What does work best? Um, uh, You know, a friend of mine, Amy Glass, she's a a great resource that I use. She's she's done an immense amount of work in translating, but not Walpuri language. And some of the stuff that she shares with me from that is been some great insights and there's people in town like the Bible Society and what have you who have various different Bibles and various different versions and you can go and have a discussion with them. Uh, one of the things I asked them about learning Walpuri, well the only way you can learn Walpuri is to basically sit with the person who speaks Walpuri. But even in there, you know, the way that words are used and what particular words and the meanings of them, you know, it's a, it's a, you, you think you know what a word means and then all of a sudden you find out the context that you use the word doesn't actually mean that at all. So there's all that sort of stuff that goes on in relation to language. You know, to do stuff with the Aboriginal people is just a one-on-one connection. Yeah? One of the things that I've, is they have very strong, is a very very relational. Um, it's, it's a lot of it's about relationship. You know, There's people that took them two years before they talked to me, um, you know, prove that I was actually their friend and I was going to be around and hang around. So it took me two over two years. Now there's uh, one fellow I catch up with uh, well, when on the bus and we have great conversations all the time, but, you know, didn't talk to me really for two years, just making sure first that, you know, was I genuine? Was I going to be his friend? Was I going to hang around or, or was I just going to come and go? And that's the other thing is, is that we come and go. Um... I, me personally, uh, you know, being involved with the church and seeing people do, you know, yes, we do church, but I think there needs to be the connection. One of the things, I'll just be the sermons sometimes in church, you know, we're going home, have a conversation on the bus, we have to talk about it because what's being said at church on a Sunday is they don't understand because of the words and stuff that we've used. So um, I think it's, I think if you want to, connect with Aboriginal people, it's much more personal and much more a connect on a one-to-one or relational basis. You know, when we have cultural sensitivities like that and uh, misunderstandings over words, uh, some might be thinking, where do you go to get trained to understand those sorts of things? And I imagine that there will be all sorts of uh, you know, Bible translation ministries that might have some training for that. But to actually gain a deeper understanding, to be trained and equipped and prepared to be someone who works in mission and uh, connecting with an Aboriginal community, that's uh, that needs a bit of special preparation, doesn't it? No. Um, so it just means just be involved. Uh, you know, maybe, yes, find out some things. Ask people, like, for example, 
uh, Amy. I talked to Amy because Amy lived out there and what have you, and she's a great re- was a great resource. And I've been able to ask, find people who actually know, and then ask them. But you know, sometimes it's just about being people, and like Aboriginal people understand that me, I. <laughs> I say stupid things because I don't understand and they actually have a knowledge that I don't understand so they give me a lot of grace. But you know what? The other thing too is is that in some ways, okay, am I involved in Indigenous ministry? Well, no, I'm involved in people ministry. It just happens to be that the people that I'm doing stuff with are Indigenous and the fact is is that, you know, we are all called to disciple people. We're all called to be involved with people and you know what? People need someone to sit down with them and talk to them and you know and explain things in a way that they can understand so um i like people and they are people and well i sort of like people i'm it so as much as it people like people but no i genuinely do like people and um it's just i just talk to them and and you know when people are genuine and you know you you genuinely want to be involved with somebody you know we forgive a lot when some people say things that are offensive or culturally wrong or whatever, if it comes from a heart that you're actually wanting to be there to help and be involved versus being some form of, you know, white saviour, then, um, you know, that, it's a, there's a lot, of, it's a lot of difference. Ken, a little earlier on we were talking to Daniel and uh, Daniel Spackman who, who said something, and I'll get your impression here, because we were talking about the voice. And Daniel's impression is that Aboriginal communities around the Alice, and let's say that's going to be far more widely spread out into uh, some of the further far-reaching areas of the Northern Territory, uh, those people are not even familiar with the concept of the voice. So you've got the city talking about the voice and a major change to our Australian constitution in a referendum. I wonder if you've got an impression that you get from Aboriginal people around the voice or or do you concur with Daniel and say uh, Aborig- Aboriginal people up here are feeling like they don't know anything about it at all. What are your thoughts here on the voice? Uh, I think that people speak for Aboriginal people a lot who don't actually speak for Aboriginal people because they don't know them. Um, on the voice, um, you know what? Uh, a voice is about... Aboriginal voice in Parliament. Didn't the Northern Territory put Jacinda Price into Parliament? So, you know, uh, if... Then... Aboriginal So, I would say... I'm happy to... Whatever she says, I'm happy to support her because she is from a local Indigenous family that are in Alice Springs and she is an Aboriginal voice so I would be happy just to say okay let's support the person that we as the Northern Territory put into Parliament. She's been calling for help now for Alice Springs and surrounding communities for a very very long time. You had a visit from the Prime Minister uh, flew in, flew out. Uh, an impression I got was that everyone was on their best behaviour while he was there. I wonder if you've got an impression whether the Prime Minister's visit meant anything to the people of Alice Springs and uh, whether there's been any sort of good that's come out of responses to the challenges that are there with the rising youth crime rate. He visited? He did. So, no, okay. Um, <laughs> the uh, So... Um, he, uh, you got to connect with the local people. 
you know, so connect with the local people, find out what the local people need. You know, it's very easy. Like I said, you know, I grew up here thinking I understood people and I didn't, you know, because you get your opinions that you think that you make up from what you, your perspective, your, you know, preconceived ideas. You know, connect with the local people, find out what the local people say. I will say there's the other thing too is, is, you know, there's been problems that have been here for quite a period of time, you know, it wasn't until, and, and even our, you know, people, rightly or wrongly, whatever you want to go for it, but, you know, people didn't get involved until it hit the media and went nationwide, you know. So you, we could potentially proactively look at some of those things prior to it becoming to what it was and then you react reactionarily versus proactively. I would say, you know, a good point of call to actually do something here would be to listen to somebody who is from here. So, and that would be, you know, for example, let's say, okay, regardless of what you think about various different politicians, at the end of the day, by, a, by the majority of the preferencing, uh, you've got person like Jacinda Price that's in Parliament, which means it's a majority of the preferencing of the people that are here. So, hey, maybe we should start with listening to what they have to say about being that politicians are supposed to actually represent the people of the areas that they are. So, maybe... Start with listening to people who are saying things like, you know, you need to get involved with the local community. You need to actually get involved with the local people and do stuff here from that way rather than think you know what you know from outside. Uh, Listening versus action. And some might say people have been listening for a long time and the call is for action. And so whatever you do, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Uh, when you talk about listening, uh, somebody's got to take some action. Uh, the action that governments tend to take is pour another bucket of money into the challenges. Uh, is that any part of an answer? What are your thoughts about ways that you can see some breakthrough and perhaps some settling, perhaps some, you know, and you might even like to reflect on the church and spirituality and all of that too, but but what do you do to actually solve some of these big issues that are growing around families and children and the, the deepening problems? Uh, if there was an uh, easy answer, it would have been done already. I think the thing is, is that, okay, uh, instead of just throwing money and creating various different new groups, why not look at some of the existing groups that may already be in place? Uh, look at some of the things that are actually already occurring, uh, some of the already, and maybe focus your attention on those groups that are already doing things and are already in place and are already doing works. Again, you know, there is a fair amount of, there are large things about churches that are doing it, but, you know, to be honest, there's an element of if uh, if it's church, then there's a, a, conce- a perception that I oh, know what we're doing is just uh, yeah uh, brainwashing people, which um, you know that's that perception from the secular world. Uh, there's other stuff about church doesn't have a good relationship and uh, good attitude in certain things. There's certain things that are blamed on um, on the church and said that's the church's fault for things like stolen generation, various and other things. Yeah, there's some Aboriginal ladies who there's a a movie called The Song Keepers. I would recommend you watch the movie. I'm talking to one of the ladies there, she's a missionary saved her life. So then she pulled me up on the bus on it about you know last year, the end of last year she said she was tired of hearing things saying that the missionaries were terrible and evil because they saved her life. 
Um, you know, so, yeah, if you want to do something, find people who actually already are doing something, see what they are doing, get behind and support them uh, rather than just create another organisation to do something that potentially other people are already doing. So supporting initiatives that are already paying dividends, uh, initiatives where there's some runs on the boards and uh, those initiatives that are showing real leadership and there's going to be some fruit from all the labours at the end of the day. Hey, I want to get your impression, and time's running a little bit short, but on Memory Mountain uh, on Easter Sunday, they're going to be launching this wonderful, iconic uh, Christian emblem of the cross up on Memory Mountain. And uh, we're seeing that from where we sit as a major leadership statement from the Aboriginal community that's coming from Central Australia. I'm wondering if you've got an impression uh, about what sort of effect you think this sort of leadership might have on Aboriginal communities, uh, not just in Alice Springs, but farther afield around Australia. Um, To be honest, um, I'm actually just like the fact that, for example, it's the Aboriginal people themselves are standing up and saying, hey, you know, we want to be involved in this. This is part of who we are. This is part of us. And it's not something that's being, uh, you know, forced upon them by uh, other people from outside. And it's coming from within inside the group. So maybe that people would turn around and look and see that, you know, Aboriginal people are well and truly capable of making up their own mind and decisions and and, you know, wanting to express their faith in how they want to express their faith and so to uh, honour that and respect that. I wonder if the Christian communities around Alice Springs have been following the process now over a number of years. Are you familiar with uh, whether people in Alice Springs are excited about what's happening uh, two and a half hours drive west? I would say that there are some that know about it and I would say there are plenty that don't because uh, um, we all move in our own different circles and are trapped in our own, uh, live in our own different worlds and we can live, like I said, in Alice Springs. You can live in a community. There's, you know, uh, there's a group of Aboriginal community that's in Alice Springs and you can live inside your own communities that you have within here and have no idea what's happening in other people's communities in town. So I would suggest that there, while there are people who will know, there's probably plenty who... Uh, wouldn't really know what's going on and barely are aware of the event. And Ken, you're a part of the Desert Life Church. Uh, give us a little impression about uh, what your church looks like there in the Alice. So the the church here that was is quite a, uh, it's a very multicultural church uh, and actually is, uh, has people from um, lots and lots of uh, different background so probably i would probably say that pretty well every nearly every nationality on in the world is represented within the church so it's a very very diverse and very broad and so again you know inside of that there's there's people and people groups inside of there that i again my involvement with aboriginal people which i have no idea how their people groups work and their um, way that they see and see life as well so but it's it's very it's quite diverse 
Okay, and so for people who are thinking right now, hey, I'm going to make a pilgrimage. I'm going to go and see that cross on Memory Mountain. Perhaps I'll do a triangular tourist drive from Alice Springs up to Memory Mountain. As I understand it, you can get from Memory Mountain down to Uluru, and it might be a a huge drive. Uh, There's going to be something that's going to happen so far as a tourism development there. Uh, People thinking of doing that, uh, can you do that if you're, say, on a grey nomad pilgrimage? or you might be just on a tour around Australia, is there something you can do to serve communities and the great Christian work that's going on with your church and others in the town? Yeah, I say, um, I would say, though, is is that when you come to a place, uh, find out what the people there are doing and get involved with them and in what they're doing rather than coming here to share your wisdom and wealth maybe it might be a good idea to actually come in, find out what they're doing and get involved and become part of that versus, uh, yeah, let's, oh, let's face it, been here for a while and it's, it's amazing the number of people who come from your different eastern seaboard and various different other city areas who come and explain to us poor country folk exactly how things are done when <laughs> coming along and just get involved. Come and get involved. Get involved with the local people here. Get involved with the local thing and see what happens and, and just keep, and keep an open mind. You know, we are country folk, but we're not exactly um, – we don't walk around with, uh, you know, bits of stick in our teeth and things like that. So. <laughs> and what about the hospitality uh, of your own churches, of churches more generally around Alice Springs, of the Aboriginal people? Are they hospitable to someone who's coming to help? Oh, yeah. The um, – uh, yes – Yes, they are. Churches here will, will always, we, we will we will always welcome help. But, and then sometimes I think we're too polite and we're too hospitable and we let people come and help who probably really, we pick up the pieces after they've gone. Um, I think, yes, the churches are more than happy. If you want to come and get in and help and assist, we're more than happy to have people come and help and assist. But come and help and assist because that's, um, that's, that's better in the long run, you know, because the other thing too is, is, you know, you can fly in and do all these programs and then take off and then who's going to run the programs once you've gone because, you know, the investment, the time, the energy and all sorts of stuff in investing in a program that's just not going to continue because there isn't people to continue the program. So if you're going to come and do something, make sure that, you know, it's and it is a program that you're bringing in and it is something that's actually useful. Just make sure that there's people behind who can actually continue that program on rather than just fly in, do something, then fly out, which is... That's not necessarily always helpful either. Uh, well, Ken, just appreciate you overflowing with some really wonderful local wisdom as to what's going on in Alice Springs and how to conduct yourself when you turn up and say, hey, I'm here to help. Uh, how do I do that? Get involved with existing programs that are already bearing fruit. And Ken, no doubt uh, for listeners, when they're driving through the Alice uh, to stop in on a church, uh, Desert Life Church, you're a part of the leadership group that's running the town camp ministries for Desert Life Church. Let me give the Desert Life Church connection for people who want to connect online, desertlifechurch.org. Uh, Ken Fiddler, uh, who's uh, just uh, what a champion you are, Ken. You keep up the great work. You're driving buses. Uh, You're there to take some time and you are sharing your own heart uh, with Aboriginal people in Central Australia and no doubt they are uh, all the better blessed because you're there. 
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.